Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At bluenile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Tortoise. Hello, it's Basha here and you're listening to the Slow Newscast from Tortoise. Now, if you've been a follower of Tortoise since the beginning, you might remember a piece of reporting by my colleague Jane Martinson, which was out just before the pandemic hit, and it was called Barclay v Barclay. And in it, Jane investigated the brothers who had fought for Brexit and were the kingmakers behind Boris Johnson, the owners of the Telegraph newspaper who, at this great moment of glory, were in an ugly fight over business and family. Now, that piece of reporting has turned three years later into a book, which is out now by Jane. And so in this episode of The Slow Newscast, she returns to that world, or rather to that prized asset of the Barclays, the Telegraph newspaper, which is now up for auction. It is, as Jane says, a sale that will usher in a new voice for right-wing Britain. And the frontrunner is a man who's hoping to establish himself as a new media mogul. I'm handing over to Jane and to producer Chloe Hadjimatheo to tell you this story. The most fun to be had at the Conservative Party conference happens after hours. At the drinks parties hosted by big media groups, it's here that business moguls and journalists clink glasses with political power breakers. This year, there was one particularly raucous bash, where Pretty Patel sang karaoke and twirled with Nigel Farage at the party thrown by a newcomer, the controversial TV channel GB News. Do you also want to welcome some more friends here tonight? Our friends that are here, the newest, most successful, most dynamic, no-nonsense news station, and the defenders of free speech. That is my friends at GB News. Thank you for everything that you do. At times, it felt like GB News was the official media outlet for the Conservative Party. Like a celebrity in its own right, getting shout-outs from ministers on stage. breaking news, but I think it's fair to say that our country needed a new disruptor when it came to the broadcast media. To take on the establishment, the Tory-hating, Brexit-bashing, free-speech deniers at the BBC and the so-called mainstream media. Just two years old, GB News has a small share of the TV audience, but a loud voice. And once or twice, it's even managed to get higher ratings than Sky News and the BBC. It boasts an anti-woke agenda and a presenting lineup 
that includes climate change deniers and COVID conspiracists. There are common enemies, lefties in the EU, of course, but others include Meghan Markle, the establishment, and all the people it describes as the elite. I've got to say, there's a stir in this conference hall, and it's not caused by me, it's caused by the presence at the Tory party conference, our very own Nigel Farage. Nigel, when were you last at a Tory conference? Late 80s. Mrs um, Thatcher in... Yeah, no, she, no, she was the Prime Minister, yeah. yeah. If you doubted the channel's influence, just listen to how Nigel Farage responds to the BBC's Nick Robinson. I would suggest to you part of the importance of GB News is it might shape who the next leader of the Conservative Party is. I think that's already beginning now. You think in your role as a broadcaster, yeah. you're reshaping the nature of the political debate on the right in Britain? I think so, and I think perhaps more effectively than I could do standing for election. This view seems to be shared by many Conservative politicians. Four Tory MPs work for GB News, the likes of Esther McVeigh and Lee Anderson, who get exclusive access with senior cabinet ministers only to let them go unchallenged. One even has his own show. Hello, good evening, it's me, Jacob Rees-Mogg, on State of the Nation tonight. Starmer was cleverly positioning Labour as a party of low taxation and limited greenery. However, he has recently stumbled, threatening mass migration and a return to EU negotiations. Hardly the impartiality public service broadcasters are meant to provide. The broadcast regulator is investigating 12 potential breaches of the rules by GB News, all but one of them about impartiality and accuracy. In fact, after thousands of complaints, its critics have started to call it GB Views, not News. The most complaints, almost 9,000, were about the possible harm caused by one particularly unpleasant on-air exchange between Dan Wooten and Lawrence Fox. But now, the channel's bosses appear to be clamping down, sacking actor-turned-political party leader Fox for making outrageous, misogynistic comments about a female journalist. That little woman has been fed, spoon-fed oppression day after day after day after day, starting with the lie of the gender uh, uh, wage gap. And suspending presenter Wooten, who was giggling. Oh, well, look, she... <laughs> Having defended free speech, why has GB News only now taken a stand against unacceptable language? It doesn't take a committed conspiracy theorist to believe that the departures of Fox and a man who defended him, could have something to do with the ambitions of a major investor in GB News, Sir Paul Marshall. The ultra-wealthy hedge fund manager has emerged as a leading contender to take over a far bigger and more influential voice on the right wing of British media. Earlier this year, Lloyd's Bank seized control of the Telegraph Media Group and The Spectator, after years of failed negotiations with its owners, the Barclay family, over huge debts. The newspaper and its weekly sister magazine are now up for sale for the first time in a generation. I'm Jane Martinson. I've spent more than three years writing a history of the Barclays. But now, just as the book hits the shelves, the auction of one of their most prized assets launches a whole new chapter. It's a chapter likely to usher in a powerful new voice for right-wing Britain. A new generation of would-be media moguls is buying to buy The Telegraph, and the owner of GB News is at the front of the pack. In this week's slow newscast from Tortoise, 
Who is Paul Marshall? What are his chances of becoming the most influential voice of the right in Britain? And who, or what, is he up against? If you want to understand who Paul Marshall is and what drives him, there's this story I should tell you. It's something that happened not to him, but to his son, Winston. Back in 2021, Marshall Jr. played banjo and guitar for the highly successful band Mumford & Sons. All was going swimmingly until Winston tweeted his support for claims that the US anti-fascist movement Antifa was trying to overthrow democracy. The other members of his band were outraged and Winston said he would stand down to examine his blind spots. Within three months he had quit for the cause of free speech. These days he hosts his own podcast on the very magazine his father wants to buy. Hello and welcome to Marshall Matters with me, Winston Marshall at The Spectator. Today I have the privilege of speaking with Mary Harrington. She is author of the book Feminism Against Progress that came out earlier this year, 2023. A book which goes into or describes a transhuman cyborg democracy of meat lego Gnosticism, bio-libertarian feminism in a post-human dystopia running on limbic capitalism heading towards gestational communism. If that sounds very arcane, I hope we can dig into some of that to people who haven't heard of those terms. Mm, No, me neither. Anyway, lots of Winston Marshall's podcasts are about freedom of speech, cancel culture, the censorship industrial complex, that kind of thing. But by all accounts, Winston's experience had a big impact on Marshall Senior too. Um, I've never discussed the issues with him around his son, but I'm I'm sure that those would only have deepened his view that people should be allowed to express their own opinions without a sort of piling on effect where where others uh, disagree with them. I think Paul David Laws used to be a Liberal Democrat MP. He served in various cabinet roles during the coalition years. He's known Paul Marshall for decades. Oh, yeah. I mean, Paul would have been a very consistent supporter of personal freedom and ability to discuss difficult topics. So that's an absolutely consistent strand in his thinking, which has probably become even more pronounced over recent years. A radicalism and resistance to sort of conventional thinking and the establishment. And I think that he feels that there are a large number of people in the country who aren't properly represented by the conventional uh, news outlets have lost out. He's a, he's a deeply family-orientated man, and you can only be, he can only have been affected by seeing his son, who was an incredibly successful international musician, experience the wrath of a quite a politically correct entertainment industry. Tim Montgomery is a political commentator and the creator of the website Conservative Home. He's another friend of Paul Marshall and has recently started acting as his unofficial spokesman. This is an extraordinary fact of modern life to me that, you know, you can be someone who perhaps doesn't care for your elderly parent. You can live sexual sort of life and not be there for your kids. And you're never judged for that behaviour, but you make a sort of, an off-colour or not even an off-colour, but some 
remark that the new consensus thinks is wrong on race or sexuality and you're finished with. And I think Paul feels that very strongly too. Tim Montgomery says the two men share the same view, one based on support for free speech. Just take an issue that I feel very strongly about, which is very controversial. I don't support abortion. I can understand why abortion is legalised. But I remember raising the issue when I was at the Times. It was made very clear to me, really, that I was talking about something I had no right to. And the only channel I've really been able to talk about abortion without feeling like I'm a complete nutcase has been GB News. And there's quite a lot of other people who feel the same about the role that GB News is playing in our media landscape and why a lot of people will defend it very fiercely and why people do think a lot of the attacks on freedom of speech is a real problem. That idea of GB News having this mistrust for what they call the mainstream media, the idea that we don't get the whole picture from big media outlets and the wall is being pulled over our eyes a bit. Do you think he believes that? Absolutely he believes it. I believe it. It it isn't just a shtick. I do think there are a whole range of issues that aren't discussed on mainstream media. But that doesn't mean anything goes. Paul does understand that there is a difference between freedom of speech and ad hominem attacks that if even made in a pub after people had a few drinks would be regarded as socially unacceptable. The sort of thing that got Lawrence Fox and Dan Wooten into trouble would never be anything I would hear from Paul Marshall's mouth. So how did Paul Marshall get here? Well, in that well-worn phrase, he has been on a bit of a journey. Back in the late 80s, he was a member of the Liberal Democrats and even stood as an MP in Hammersmith and Fulham. He didn't win. Then in 1997, he co-founded an investment fund, Marshall Waste. It's a business he still chairs. Marshall's political ambitions didn't end with a failed election. He was a prominent financial backer of the Lib Dems well into the noughties and helped shape party policy. And the ideas Marshall was into? Pro-competition, pro-innovation, anti-monopoly. David Laws again. In favour of lower taxes on work and innovation, the belief in free speech and personal freedom, and the sort of anti-big government mentality. And all of those, I think, have been consistent themes in his thinking over the, the period in which I've known him. In 2004, Paul Marshall co-authored The Orange Book with David Laws, a free market manifesto for the party. And then in later years, when the Lib Dems were in government, Marshall would host dinners, bringing together Liberal Democrat MPs to discuss policy with their Conservative partners. And sometimes, you know, some quite difficult clashes between both sides of the coalition. And that was something that I was very passionate about. It was also something that Michael Gove was very focused on. And I suppose Paul and Michael also struck up quite a close relationship at that time. The two men were also united in their doubts about the European Union. The hedge fund owner finally decided to switch allegiance, leaving the Lib Dems in 2015 and offering his financial support to the Conservative Party instead. He became less convinced about Britain's role within the EU, which is obviously a fairly fundamental area of policy for the Liberal Democrats. So 
as far as I could see, that was quite an important element in his changed political support. And I think his relationship with Michael Gove was also important. Michael Gove and Paul Marshall share a passion for education. Sir Paul was knighted in 2016 for his work with the art group of Academy Schools. The other thing that unites Marshall and Gove is their faith. Paul Marshall surrounds himself with lots of people who share his religious beliefs. In fact, he co-owns GB News with majority shareholder Christopher Chandler, a secretive New Zealand billionaire who founded and funds the Legassum Institute, a think tank which focuses its research on American-style conservative libertarianism. It's said that Marshall and Chandler move in the same Christian evangelical circles. We're both Christians and we're both very interested in politics. Tim Montgomery again. He has made an awful lot of money and I think his belief has been that he could make more difference continuing to make money and ploughing those into good causes. That's sort of more conventional philanthropy that I suspect most people would immediately recognise as good causes. He has, over time, become more political. I still think that's a form of public service. In 2017, Tim Montgomery and Paul Marshall started the online publication Unheard Together, a news and opinion website which Marshall still owns. The idea behind Unheard was to go against groupthink, against the herd. Unheard. Get it? Then, in 2021, he embarked on an altogether bigger undertaking. GB News launched with Union Jack fanfare, but in the first weeks it was beset by technical issues. We love that live television. Now, let's tell you what's coming up in the next hour, and we'll have some good news in just a couple of moments. Andrew Neal, a veteran broadcaster who had been the face of GB News when it launched, quit just a few months in because, he said, he didn't want to work for a British fox. And so Marshall, who had invested £10 million at the outset, took over and acted as chair for six months. The technical challenges that went viral online improved and the channel started to find its mojo. That mojo was a recognition that it was never going to compete with public service broadcasters like Sky and the BBC when it came to big breaking news stories. The channel had few correspondents and even fewer satellite trucks. But what it does well is commentary, particularly on scandals about personal behaviour. And there was no doubt about it. I mean, apparently, you know, taxes were taking this young man, was it from ITV Studios to Schofield's apartment? Yeah, so Philip would have something called Thursday Playtime uh, with this young runner. And <coughs> A perfect example of this came in May this year. And remember, this relationship had been going on for a good couple of years mm. by that point. Mm. Yeah, Philip Schofield admitted to an extramarital affair with a much younger male colleague and to lying about it. GB News didn't break this story, but they ran with it for weeks. It was cheap TV and they amplified the story in a way that had hardly ever been done on national television, at least in the UK. Before long, the story had been pushed up the news agenda everywhere else until Philip Schofield's affair was the top story on BBC Radio 4's news bulletins. 
Was the GB news agenda having an effect, that same effect that tabloid newspapers had had for years? So it seems quite hard to believe that if ITV had really investigated what was going on, because we should say... Nigel, they claim they did investigate. They say there was an investigation in early 2020. But again, that was two months after I first went to them with the story. And remember, this relationship... GB News star presenter Dan Mutton used his primetime slot on the channel to drive the story, all in the cause of free speech. Then came allegations about his own behaviour, subsequently denied, and the toe-curling interview with Lawrence Fox. It seems Wotton himself became the test for the limits of free speech when he was sacked from the mail and suspended from GB News. Tim Montgomery again. Well, look, I talked to Paul a lot and I've talked to him a lot in this last week when GB News controversy has been raging. The Fox Wotton moment has been a wake-up call. I think GB News will be different going forward. All. It's amazing what the need to be accepted as a newspaper owner will do to your journalistic standards, perhaps. Because the stakes are high, it's about more than just money, and Marshall and his backers realise they have a fight on their hands. GB News, I think, is doing something very important. It is talking about issues that no one else does talk about. But there is quite an also, quite an organised campaign to bring it down. There are lots of people who hate it. And so they are getting an awful lot of attention from Ofcom and other people because there is a determined set of people who do want to destroy it. But the fight back, I think, against that group of people is definitely well underway now. If the polls don't change and the Conservatives do lose the next election, the new owner of the Telegraph Media Group and The Spectator will also have a role in choosing a new leader. They will become kingmakers. Could this be good news for one face of GB News, Nigel Farage? There are plenty, like Jacob Rees-Mogg, who'd welcome him back into the Conservative Party. I'm a friend of Nigel's. I think he's a very effective campaigner. And I think most of his political views are views I share. I think Nigel is broadly a Tory and always has been. Others, like Tim Montgomery, have said publicly that Nigel Farage would make a good new leader. In any case it's likely that GB News and its presenters will continue to have a significant impact on the right. Well, look, GB News is already a massive power inside the Conservative Party. It really has already penetrated. GB News will be a big influence after the next election, when I suspect the Tories will have lost the general election and we will have a Tory leadership election. GB News will be an incredibly important forum where the next Conservative leader will be decided. 
Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. GB News may be the current media darling for Tory politicians, but The Telegraph is still loved by the people who vote for them. And they matter to any Labour politician who wants to be PM. Tony Blair knew this when he invited Telegraph editors to Downing Street. He knew they would never urge readers to vote for him, but they would help his policies win support on the golf course. Imagine the power of owning both GB News and The Telegraph for anyone wanting a say in national politics. I'm sure Paul Marshall has. Could he want to help keep Britain the country that I think he believes it should be? And I think he's come to believe that his investment in the media is part of helping that to happen. And he's now using a lot of his money in that way. So who does Paul Marshall have to beat if he wants to win the Telegraph? So far, at least a dozen bidders have emerged. Having written off more than a billion in debt, Lloyds will just want to accept the highest bidder, surely. Well, it's a bit more complicated than that. Alice Enders is a senior media industry researcher. And not all bidders are alike because we have here in the UK a sort of dual competition and public interest regime to preserve choice and a variety of voice and ensure that there's no kind of concentration of media assets in the hands of one single person. Unlike British broadcasters, which have rules on impartiality, newspapers in the UK trace their roots to partisan pamphlets. Prospective owners don't have to pass a fit and proper test, as no one expects them to be impartial. But there are rules. Rules designed to protect accuracy, freedom of expression and plurality of opinion. Though those rules are pretty vague. I think it's difficult to go down that path uh, of preventing people from owning newspaper. Former editor of The Guardian, now editor of Prospect magazine, Alan Rusbridger, reckons there's only been one case where Ofcom's found someone unfit to own a newspaper. And that was a a soft pornographer called David Sullivan, who I think was stopped from owning a paper in Bristol. That's the only one that springs my mind. Uh, So you have to really pretty be low down the food chain. uh, And that didn't even stop another soft pornographer, Richard Desmond, from buying the Express. So the bar is pretty low when it comes to regulation, but checks and balances take time and the clock is ticking for Lloyds in the run up to next year's general election. Heavily regulated and with 26 million customers of all political persuasions, Lloyd's is going to want to avoid getting tied up in red tape from the Competition Authority or Ofcom. The bank can't afford to be left owning a Conservative-supporting newspaper when electioneering begins in earnest. Speed, as well as price, will be of the essence. So who are the main bidders for The Telegraph and Spectator? First up, the Barclay family. 
That's right, they haven't given up, despite having their prized possessions snatched from under them by the bank just a few months ago. They're understood to have teamed up with former Tory chairman Nadim Sahawi. But given their debt, where will they find the cash? They've put their £22 million yacht on the market, but are said to be in talks with investors from the Middle East. They're obviously desperate to get Lloyd's banking group to agree to something. But let's face it, the Barclays don't have assets worth uh, a billion pounds. Someone who does is Rupert Murdoch. His media empire already controls so many British newspapers, he is unlikely to be allowed to own another daily title. But he has long coveted The Spectator magazine. Other contenders include German-based publisher Axel Springer and a Czech billionaire Daniel Kretinsky, who already owns a slice of France's Le Monde. Europeans taking over the stridently pro-Brexit paper. Now, that would be interesting. There's also interest from across the Atlantic, with ex-CNN chief Jeff Zucker and his UAE investors. One British newspaper group who dropped out last time because of competition issues, but is still very keen, is DMGT, the publisher of the Daily Mail run by Lord Rothermere. He's rumoured to have held talks with oil and cash-rich investors in the Gulf too. But have those competition concerns gone away? Can one newspaper business own too many national newspapers? It looks like there's a lot of concentration of power. And that's one of the reasons why there's been so much interest in buyers from outside the world of newspapers. Alice Enders has her money on Will Lewis, a former editor of The Telegraph. Sir Will Lewis actually doesn't have many complications, I would say. (laughs) He doesn't hold a broadcasting license and he's not an existing newspaper owner. And my feeling is that the seller will prefer an unencumbered buyer. Someone who's British, people feel edgy about non-British people, you know, owning something like the Telegraph. So it could well be that Sir Will Lewis becomes the frontrunner because he's unencumbered. But there are also those who believe Marshall is likely to beat them all. He secured money from an American hedge fund billionaire, Ken Griffin, a man who shares his faith and his ideas. But analyst Alice Enders is quick to point out he may still face red tape. I would say he faces some regulatory hurdles in terms of this bid, and that's even before the big controversy with Lawrence Fox and Dan Wooten being suspended by GB News. So with an Ofcom investigation, one more Ofcom investigation of GB News. So I would think that In that context, that certainly represents a maybe higher hurdle for Sir Paul Marshall at this juncture anyway. Bearing in mind the auction isn't tomorrow, but there you go. For over a century, The Telegraph has offered a powerful voice for the heartlands of Middle England. It's conservative with a small and a big C. The owner before the Barclays called it a passport to other people's drawing rooms. There are many critics of the Barclay regime, many of them fans of the serious journalism contained on the pages of the older Telegraph. Former Guardian editor Alan Rusbridger is one of them. God knows it's had some dark periods recently, 
Well, the Telegraph at its best was a very straight newspaper. You could read the news pages and pretty much trust what was in them. To go from that, if you imagined a print version of GB News, which mixes fantasy, conspiracy theory, low political diatribe and teenage sneering and smutty jokes, the sort of QAnon-style conspiracy theorists, out-and-out climate change deniers. If that is someone's idea of free speech and the voices that are supposedly excluded from mainstream media, that would be a very dark day indeed. To the extent that the image of the Telegraph in the past has been a sort of rather dusty, deeply conservative newspaper, that's not really Paul's outlook on politics. David Laws. He's a far more radical individual. He's interested in change and innovation, disruption of business and politics. And I think that he, it's more likely that that sort of radicalism would be the sort of thing that he would associate with rather than the sort of image that people have tended to have of that newspaper group in the past. You can trace the history of 20th century conservatism through the ownership of the Daily Telegraph, from Jam and Jerusalem in the post-war years to Thatcher's Britain and the self-made Barclay Brothers. This auction will herald a new voice on the right, but whose will it be? And what will it do to the notion of accuracy? Will an ever more opinionated media get pushed even further into the extremes by the owner of a TV news channel called a disruptor? There is so much at stake. Obviously, there is a, a big national interest that if at the same time Paul Marshall secures the Telegraph, which is another huge vehicle in Tory politics in this country, he will have become a very powerful individual indeed. The fight for the Telegraph is going to be a humdinger. This episode was reported by Jane Martinson and produced by me, Chloe Hadjimatheu. The editor was Jasper Corbett and the sound designer was Carla Patella. 